All right, good morning. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Good spirit in church this morning. I don't know if you noticed that or pick up on those things. Let's go over to, let's go to Revelation chapter 4. And I just want to say, first of all, thank you again for having me and then follow that up with apologies for having me again. I feel like uh, I might be overwearing my welcome, but some of you are like, you were never welcome to begin with. Uh, it's good to be here. We really have um, enjoyed being back around here after many years being gone in Alaska and Florida and out in Oregon just to be able to be here and kind of get to know or reconnect with some of you and to see the church doing well in the midst of um, a crooked and perverse nation, amen, and a generation that really has no use for God and yet there's a full house on a Sunday morning. It's a blessing and I really mean that. I'm going to look at a couple of things in Revelation 4. We're going to look at a, a very familiar verse, and then I'm going to jump over to Titus 2, if you want to just catch that passage also. And looking at Revelation 4, a verse that I think you'll probably recognize, some of you, many of you would probably be able to quote it, Revelation 4 and verse 11. Of course, this is a scene, John the Revelator, John the Beloved, uh, has been caught up. And he's seeing things as though he's there experiencing it in real time. And in a sense, it is real time because it's God's presence and um, there's no time necessarily element there. But John is alive on the Isle of Patmos. He's been banished there for uh, his refusal to deny the faith, which is, by the way, an interesting thing to consider if, if Christianity and what we believe and, I, and I, by Christianity, I'm not just talking about the, the broad spectrum of what is called the Christian faith. I'm talking about biblical Christianity as it has existed now for, well, really for 2,000 years, give or take. Um, that's the, the Christianity I'm referring to in this statement. But uh, Christianity, if it was just a farce, if it was just some kind of a made-up thing, um, then you have to admit that, man, the guys who decided to pull this off, they were pretty serious about what they were going to try to do. They're like, hey, let's trick people into believing something that is not true, and guess what? We won't get any money from it. In fact, we'll actually lose all of our income and most of our position, right? We'll completely destroy our reputations here in the community. And then, on top of it, let's go ahead and be beaten regularly, imprisoned, and then, and then eventually maybe they'll kill us. What that'll show them. <laughs> you know, the things that people come up with to kind of as their objections to Christianity, a lot of times I don't think they take into consideration the whole picture. And so here we are this morning, we're meeting on the first day of the week, just like the apostles did in remembrance and in commemoration of the resurrection of their Savior. Their their rabbi, their their Messiah, the the one that they followed, the one who Peter said. Uh, he says, thou art the, the Son of God, thou art the Christ, the Christ, the Messiah. We know who you are. We're not going to deny you. John says later on, he says, well, all we can do is we can't help but see and to speak and to, to tell the things that we saw and that we've experienced. And Peter even recounts many years later, he says, we were there on the mount that morning and at that transfiguration that happened and we saw what, who Jesus, this man that we had traveled with and that we had you know, slept in there in the same camp with, and we'd all kind of been there and experienced these things, we saw that same figure transformed, and his, his appearance was like the light of the sun. And then we heard the voice that said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. All those things that, that happened, Peter talks about, he says, uh, we've not followed cunningly devised fables. This isn't, this isn't some kind of made-up thing. We're here this morning as a result of the faith and the testimony of those men who are with Jesus Christ. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. They communed with Him. They literally saw Him crucified. They fled so that they would not meet the same fate. And then three days and three nights later, He came up. Amen. He came out of the grave on His own accord, and He stood in the midst of the room while they were hiding, and He said, Be not afraid, it is I. I'm here. Boys, I'm back. <laughs> And he's gooder than ever, amen? He's not better than ever, he's gooder than ever. That's not good English, I know that. But I just think about John as he's there, you know, banished in this um, island, and, and he's not there bemoaning his, his condition. He's there, and he's fellowshipping with God. He's, 
He's, he's just rejoicing like Paul the Apostle in the fact that he was willing, be, he was counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Christ. These are the, these are the ones, ones who authored the New Testament. Amen. This is, these are not cunningly devised fables. These are men who literally laid down their lives so that we could have the words that we have here today. And so in the light of that and in consideration of that, uh, as you think about John and this, this vision that he's having, and he's there and he's, he's uh, seeing all kinds of things, which uh, many of these things in this book are honestly beyond our real comprehension. It's kind of hard for us to grasp. And some things we understand and some things we don't, but the things that we do, we, we try to find a way to apply it. But here's a verse I think that we could all get a hold of is verse 11 in Revelation 4.11. The angels, the four and twenty elders in verse 10 are falling down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. This is the scene. This is one of the scenes that's going on in heaven. And these are the things that are happening. And the, 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 the verse is not just um, an account of something that's going on in heaven. It actually really tells, it kind of condenses and puts it all together in, in one snapshot, one verse. You see, God is the creator. He created all things. And he created all things for his pleasure. And we ought to worship and glorify him as such. We are, after all, part of His creation. Amen? We ought to worship and serve Him. Not the creature. We ought to serve the Creator. So I've been thinking about these things and uh, kind of just put some thoughts together. If you will, go over to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we'll read a few verses here in Titus 2. Also kind of a snapshot passage. Titus 2, and let's look down in verse 11. Titus 2 and verse 11, we'll read through verse 14. Scripture says here, For the grace of God that it bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's just have a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity once more. Lord, we, we just want to come to you together, Lord, myself, especially as I acknowledge, Lord, that I have great need of thee this morning and right especially at this moment. But, Lord, not just me to speak the things that I ought to speak, but also for your people here to hear the things that you'd have them to hear and to understand and to believe and to obey. And Lord, perhaps someone else who may be here this morning and is not necessarily a believer, uh, Lord, we know that in a crowd this size, it's certainly possible and likely that there's someone here this morning who's never really actually known you as their Savior. I pray that you'd reveal yourself in some special way to these that are among us, Lord, who do not know you. Lord, to each and every one of us, that you'd speak to us in a personal way and that all these things that are said and done this morning will be to your glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So I was talking to Andy Hearn last night after a prayer meeting. Just caught up with him just for a moment. And we were, Andy Hearn, by the way, is one of those guys. Where's Andy? Is he here this morning? I hope so. There's Brother Andy. It's kind of, uh, we're friends. We've kind of gotten to know each other. And um, <laughs> Andy is one of those guys that you either feel smarter when you get done talking to him or you feel dumber, you know. <laughs> Anybody know that, right? So I was talking to Andy, and I actually, I, I, I prefer, I have, I'm a kind of an optimist, you know, so I like to think when I talk to Andy, I feel smarter. Here's why. Because I, I actually understood some of the things he was talking about. <laughs> I felt like I was on the same level a little bit, like, you know, it wasn't just, hey, brother, how are you? Because, you know, I thought, you know, so we're talking about some things, and I always enjoy catching up with him and fellowshipping, and uh, probably there's a I think, I think I figured out why it is. I'm certainly not on his level as far as intellect, but we both have a little bit of a philosophical bent. We like to, I mean, I don't want to speak for him, uh, but I feel like we kind of connect in, in the sense that if, if we weren't born-again Christians and we didn't have a good foundation of the Word of God, we'd probably be out there philosophizing and talking about all kinds of things and waxing eloquent whenever we could find occasion, right? So 
uh, we, we're connecting, we're talking, and, and he made a statement that was something I've actually been thinking about lately, and just the, the statement was something to the effect of, and I don't want to say this is an exact quote, but uh, he said, God's grace is so very often manifested in, in an ironic way. God's grace is, is made manifest in a way, uh, really even sometimes through irony. And I was thinking about that, uh, particularly as um, we see in the passage here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation to all, uh, hath appeared unto all men. And I was thinking about the grace of God, and, and we even heard about some of these things here in the adult Sunday school room, and um, I was thinking about the, the irony the irony of my wife being asked to speak to the ladies of this church. And not at all because to take anything away from my wife. In fact, she is a, a woman whose uh, virtue is to be praised. That's what Proverbs 31 says. So, but, but the fact of the matter is, is that many years ago when I first met her and we were just kids in this church and I was kind of the outsider coming in. By the way, can I walk down here? Is this okay? Sometimes I feel like I'm way up here. I don't connect. We're just we're just a couple of kids and and it's like we you know Lindsay Peterson is going to one day address the ladies of this church in such a prestigious position. Like she would have laughed, I would have laughed, we would have all had a good laugh, and and then now here I am preaching on a Sunday morning to a congregation who uh, some of you in this room know that I of all people have the the least. Uh, amount of credibility that would be called upon to say, hey, we think that you have earned the right to, to address this crowd. I, I, you know, I'm 43 years old last week, and I remember, I remember there's people in this room, every time I come into this church, there's people I see, and I'm like, oh, I said some really stupid things to that guy. <laughs> Boy, there are some things that I said to brother so-and-so that were just downright wrong. They were wicked things. Things about this church Things about this pastor that you have that's been so faithful. And, and don't worry, we've made it all up. Trust me. I mean, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but but think, about, think about the things that, some of the things that you and I have done and some of the things that, uh, the places where you find yourself, and, and you look at it and you go, how ironic that I'm here. Of all the people and of all the places, how did I end up here? Do you know what that is? That's the grace of God just manifested and made known in our lives, isn't it? I don't deserve to be here this morning. Not just because of some of the things that I've said and done, but also because of the fact that I know myself well enough to know that I have, I have no right to stand in this place and to open the Word of God and to declare it. I'm talking about not just because of my past, I'm talking about just the things that kind of come through your head and the things that you're concerned with, and we find ourselves oftentimes consumed with so much stuff that has nothing to do with God. And I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking to myself, man, the, the grace of God, what a, what a great and a true statement to, to be able to say that the grace of God is often manifested in very ironic ways. Amen? I mean, Lindsay and I, just a couple of kids many years ago in this place, and, and I mean, uh, we weren't looking for position. I mean, I remember even when we were decided to go down to Bible school from Alaska after we moved up there, uh, I decided to go to Bible school, and my wife said, she literally said, she's like, okay, but you're not going to be like a preacher or a pastor or anything, right? I said, no way. No way. No, not me. I grew up in a pastor's home. No thank you. Not interested. Here we are. How ironic. Amen. You say, well, what is it? It's the grace of God. The grace of God that brings salvation at the pier to all men. And I can say this morning, and many of you can say this too, that uh, like the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It, whatever it is that, that it, you see before you this morning is just the result of God's grace. And whatever it is that you see, uh, if there's any good thing in your life, if there's any good thing that you see in the mirror when you look therein, and you have to be able to admit it, it's, it's just God's grace. Hey Amen. We don't, we don't, we don't ha- we're not here as the recipients this morning of what we deserve. We're the recipients of God's grace. And it's the same God and it's the same grace that we read of here in Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. And the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. In other words, God's grace is abundant in every human life. 
Just because of the fact that they don't see it or because of the fact that they refuse to even acknowledge God, they don't even like to have God in their memory, it says in Romans chapter 1, there, there's things that, that we have to say, wow, they really don't know the grace of God. Well, it's not because God's grace isn't there in their life. God's grace is abundant. It's manifest in it. It's, it look at the passage again. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We understand, of course, if you're here this morning and you're a born-again Christian, you understand exactly what he's talking about in that passage. The, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is literally the fulfillment, the culmination of the grace of God in our lives. And it's the grace of God that it's a, that's made that possible for all men to be saved. Aren't you so glad this morning that salvation isn't in being a member of this church? It's not in, in being born with a certain ethnicity. It's not in, in some amount of goodness that you do and amount of badness that you refrain from. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, and it is found literally in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ came into this world, that He lived the sinless life that He did, listen, without objection, no one can refute that. They tried to find, even as contemporaries, they tried to find people to find some fault in him, and they couldn't find any. So they made stuff up. You don't know a lot of people like that. <laughs> but the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, the, person, the life of Jesus Christ, the, the death that he literally willingly went to. He laid his life down. Someone told me the other day, well, he, he, was, he didn't do that. He, 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 was not the, he was not a victim, or he was a victim. He wasn't necessarily a volunteer. He said, no, 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 you don't understand Jesus. Jesus literally, I mean, if he, remember they come to him in the garden? Remember what happened? They come to him in the garden in the middle of the night, and they come, and, and there's an account there in the Gospel of John. where He says, whom seek you? You know, it's kind of dark. They can't see things. And they said, we're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. When he says, I am, that Jehovah Amen. Remember what God Moses says, Whom shall I say sent me? Tell him that Jehovah sent me. How does that translate? I am. I am that I am. And Jesus said, I am he. They fall over backwards. Now, the most incredible thing in that passage is not that they fall over backwards, but that they get themselves back up, brush themselves off, and they go, okay, you're the guy we're looking for. And they take him to Pilate's Hall. And of course, you know the story and the fact that Jesus Christ, he, said, he says, no man taketh my life from me. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. He laid his life down. You say, what for? As a payment, as a fulfillment of God's plan that sin could actually have a payment, not just any payment, but a perfect payment. You see, for God to have his payment and his requirements met, it had to be a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the only one that could have performed that. And so the fact that not only did he live that perfect life that made himself worthy to be the lamb that could take away the sin of the world, because that's what he was, that's why he came, but he laid that life down willingly, but the story doesn't stop there, amen? Aren't you glad? We don't have to wait for Easter to celebrate the resurrection, amen? The story doesn't stop there. In fact, it just kind of started there. Jesus came out of the grave. He therefore verified, he, he actually validated who he was and what he claimed. He basically says, hey, you can believe on me. You can trust me. Well, I don't know about religion. Okay, I, I didn't talk about religion. I said, you can trust me. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. He that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. He said, I don't feel the wrath of God. You may not feel it right now, but it's hanging over your head. And it's just a matter of time until that last breath is taken and you're gone into eternity and there will be no more opportunity after that. Right now is the time. That's why the Bible says, behold, today is the accepted time. Now, today is the, is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And so the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. In other words, it's available for you today to obtain and to, to make it yours if you're not here as a Christian today. So I don't know about all this stuff. Okay, don't worry about all the stuff. Just focus on Jesus Christ. Look at Jesus and say, okay, can you find one fault with him? Don't, don't talk about the man behind the pulpit. Don't talk about what so-and-so did and such-and-such and such-and-such. And such. Just say, okay, can you find fault with Jesus? I, I dare you to try. You won't. You can't. It's impossible. But you know what I do? People, people reject Jesus 
because of some of the people that claim the name of Jesus, don't they? But that doesn't take away from the fact that God's grace has been made manifest to all men. God's grace is here and it's available. And it's, it's like Paul says over there in 2 Corinthians 8, you don't have to turn there, but he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, right? Yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be made rich. In other words, you, you actually can get the riches of God, the riches of, of a life that God intended you to have. You understand that that's, that's actually kind of where this is all kind of supposed to go. Think about this. Salvation, sometimes, and this is, I'm talking now to, to the crowd to hear this morning, on a Sunday morning, you know, Bible-believing, King James only, go down the checklist. You know what sometimes we do is we forget that salvation is not the culmination of what God intended. It is the beginning of what God intended. This thing that God intended for us does not begin and end with getting saved, as we say. A lot of times people don't, uh, we're out in an area where people don't know the terminology. We have people that come in, they've literally, multiple times every month, we have people come into church that have never been to church ever in their entire life, ever. Their parents didn't go to church, their grandparents didn't go to church. So you talk about things like being born again and being saved, and they use some of those terminology we're very familiar with, and they're like, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? I don't understand what, what is it, you know, redemption. You know, you guys are going through some of these shun words. Those are, that's a great study. But the point is this, salvation doesn't, it, it's not where it stops, it's where it starts. And so if I'm going to have a life that is truly uh, going to be fulfilling and is going to be satisfying, and really actually according to Revelation chapter 4.11, if I have a life that is going to be the uh, the uh, actually being lived out to the point to which God intended it to be, it's going to be by the grace of God. Because it's God's grace that saved me, it's God's grace that's going to get me through, and therefore, if I'm going to live a life that's fulfilling to God, I'm going to have to understand that it's the grace of God that has made it possible. And if you look at the, the passage here in chapter uh, 2 of Titus again, you see kind of the culmination or like a, a synopsis, if you will. You have chapter 2, verse 11. There's Jesus Christ coming, the grace of God appearing. What is it supposed to do? It's supposed to, verse 12, it's teaching us that we're supposed to deny some things. We're supposed to do some things, right? Which, by the way, can I just tell you this, that as a matter of, you know, just general practice, the things contained in verse 12 would pretty much be, I, I would say, most common decent people around the world regardless of culture or religion or class or creed or whatever, I think most people would agree those are some, probably some pretty good rules to live by, right? Denying ungodliness and worldly lust, you know, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. Well, that's, isn't that pretty much religion? Would you agree with that? Most religions have a list of do's and a list of don'ts. And, and the do's are pretty much, you know, contained in this, you know, here's the things that, you know, do unto your neighbor and, and you know, be a good person, pay your bills on time and that kind of thing, right? There's a, there's a kind of a general consensus of agreement. No one would disagree with verse 12 is what I'm saying. So you kind of have this, this uh, synopsis, this snapshot. You have Jesus Christ comes, the grace of God appears. What is the grace of God supposed to be doing? It's supposed to be producing something in our life, a life of righteousness, and then the, the culmination of it is verse 13. What we're looking for, amen, in, the, in this present world, is we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I think it's interesting that some people will agree that Jesus was a good person. They'll actually acknowledge the fact that he was a great teacher and a great man. They'll actually be in agreement with the fact that, you know, he was probably among the religious leaders of history. He, he's, you know, highest in the ranks. And yet the book that tells them these things, the book that makes them believe these things, they don't actually ever really acknowledge the fact or don't want to think about the fact that he's also coming back. Like he was here, you acknowledge that. He lived this kind of life, you acknowledge that. And, and well, we don't really know about this whole resurrection thing, but, you know, I guess it's possible or whatever. Yeah, but it doesn't stop there. He's coming back. That's where this thing is headed. And for us as Bible-believing Christians, we know that. In fact, we know it so well that that's what we're looking for. Amen? At least that's what you're supposed to be looking for. Because if you're looking around at what's going on around here, you have to admit, <laughs> I'm not here talking about here this church. I'm talking about here in this present world. Things aren't really getting a whole lot better. I don't know if you notice it or not. 
kind of kind of getting pretty pretty weird out there, isn't it? When I look at what's going on around me, I, I don't look at necessarily this is the fulfillment or this is what God intended for His creation. <laughs> I, 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 don't think, I don't think God ever had you know, any intention whatsoever. I mean, it's not even I don't think. I know this for a fact. God never intended for there to be a conversation or a debate over transgenderism. That's not God's deal. And, and think about the fact that we're even having conversations about that nowadays. When I was a kid, they were talking about people coming out of the closet. It was like, whoa. And then someone said, well, you know, they're just, that's how God made them. No. No. God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. We all know that. Amen. And listen, God's intention and God's creation is, is like, it's completely derailed out there. It is off the hinges. Wouldn't you agree? Even people that don't go to church, they're not really Christians, they're really not even people of uh, maybe of any faith, even they have to look at it and go, yeah, this thing's a mess. I mean, uh, I think as Pastor Michael said it when I was here in July, he's probably said it since then, but you know, probably one of the most depressing things would be to be a, a conservative Republican who doesn't actually, is not saved and doesn't know what's going to happen. You talk about a wah, 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 you know. You know, if your entire hope is hanging on Trump getting reelected... Well, you're in bad shape. <laughs> Just having a conversation the other day about something this with you know a couple of guys, and they was like, "Well, you know, you think he's going to get in?" I was, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm in the conversation. Yeah, he'll probably get in. I mean, it's either him or the other guy. You know, I, I don't, I don't imagine. I mean, I don't think he got in the right. Anyway, let's get, let's get off, let's get. But but is 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 honestly is is a is a second reign of Trump is that is that our hope? No. Look at verse thirteen. That blessed hope, Amen. That's what we're looking for, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. But then notice also verse fourteen, who gave Himself for us. Why? Verse fourteen, that He might redeem us from all iniquity. And purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. You know what I see is I see we, God actually saved us for a purpose. And that grace of God which was made manifest and which was made uh, that brings salvation to all men and it's available for all, that grace and that salvation is, is there's an intention behind it. God's intention is to redeem something unto himself. The redeem is to purchase it back. It was lost in the garden. See, you believe that? Yes, I actually believe there was a garden one day in which God put the man and He put the woman. Amen? You see, you actually believe that? Yes. Don't tell me, okay, what is the alternative? You know, tell me what you believe. You know, let's have a dialogue. You know, so, so here's what I hear, you know, well, I believe in Van Hala. Valhalla or whatever, some Viking god. Okay, well, how did they say the whole thing started? Well, there's all this. You, you have mysticism, right? You have evolution, science. You know, I believe in science. No, you don't. That's not scientific. Everything came from, some, from nothing? No, that's not scientific. Actually, it's not. You have to have someone who either created it or something to which it could have actually started with. They acknowledged there was nothing, but then now there's everything. So what happened? Well, it all just sprang from nothing, not without someone to start the thing, to get the thing going. Amen? I'm not talking about theistic evolution. I'm saying you had to have an outside force that influenced that. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's just as good an explanation as anybody else's. Well, were you there? No, I wasn't. Were you there when the Big Bang happened? No, you won't, weren't. Amen? So your, your explanation is just as silly and stupid as you think mine is, except for mine actually has some logic and some evidence to go with it. And I like how the Bible starts off. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So what? I mean, God doesn't spend a lot of time trying to validate and prove that. Anybody with eyes to see could see the creation. Amen? Anybody with eyes to see and, and just a sense of, of consciousness could acknowledge, man, there's something in me. Why is it that I can go all over the world and I can find that everybody pretty much knows it's wrong to steal, to cheat, to lie, to take someone else's wife, to take another person's life? Everybody knows that. It's built in. How did evolution put that in there? I'll give you the answer. It didn't. 
That's God's law written on the hearts of man. You know why? Because even in man's crazy fallen condition, you know what God did? God still left evidence of himself in all that man could see and even all that was within man. In other words, there is evidence within the own human soul that there is a God, there is a creator, and if he will follow that conscience to the best of his ability, number one, he'll find out that he can't keep it. Amen. That's why I tell you people, how do you deal with all the people in Portland? I just ask you a simple question. Hey, you know, do you, have you always followed your conscience? Well, you know, I try to do the best. No, no, have you always, even your own conscience, have you always followed that? Well, I mean, nobody has. Okay, so you're now you're in agreement with the Bible. All have sinned. Right? And we can go from there. But is, is this what God intended? What's going on around us and all this craziness and creation? And, and we even read over in Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain. What is it waiting for? It's waiting for the redemption. It's waiting for the Creator to come and set everything straight. Because everything is a mess. Transgenderism political turmoil, people sick. That's not how God made this thing to be. Disease, sickness, misery, eventual death. You think, that was, you think God was the one who started and wanted all that? I'm saying, you know, sometimes we get, we get to thinking about this stuff and we make, we make the Bible and, and what we do as Christians uh, almost, in a sense, too philosophical and we, stop, we don't stop to think about the fact that this is not what God originally intended at all. God didn't intend transgenderism. God didn't intend for, for people, the Gentiles, to be exercising dominion over one another. God didn't intend for communities to have nothing in common together. Have you ever thought about that? The word community is supposed to actually, the common word there is common. Look at our communities. What do we have in common? Look at where this thing has gone. Look where it's taken us. Look where it's headed. I mean, what, what, okay, well, I don't believe in all the religious stuff. Okay, well, then what do you believe in? AI? Technology is going to fix everything? How's that been doing so far? It's really made the world a better place, hasn't it? You know, we have war and rumors of it. You know, that's, you know here's the thing. is All this stuff is in the Bible. You say, well, it's in the Bible. That's the way it's going to be. Yes, at least we actually have a book that tells us a little bit about what's going to happen. So we're not, you don't wake up one day and be like, ah, what's happening? Oh, what's happening is exactly what the Bible said would happen. But remember, what happens in the Bible and what happens all around us is the result of man's sin, not the result of what God's intention was. Sickness and disease and misery, and, and I mean, it's, it's amazing. We're living in a day and age where, where war is literally being televised. And I know it started back in the day, but I mean, you get on the channels now and different, you know, different things. And I, I'm, I follow some stuff because I'm interested in what goes on in the Middle East because I think it has a lot to do with what's in the Bible. And I'm interested in what goes on in the, the countries in the north, right? Gog and Magog, they kind of have a preeminent position in Bible prophecy, and so you have all this stuff happening, and Syria is involved, and so I'm kind of watching these things, I'm going, this is World War III happening in real time. I'm watching footage of a, of a drone, you know, looking at it down a bunch of soldiers crawling on the ground, I don't know if they're Ukrainian, I don't know if they're Russian, all I know is they're human beings, and there's a little robot above them floating and goes, just dropping in real time, high definition camera, dropping bombs right on the guy's legs. And all the stuff that's going on. You think this is what God wanted? This is not what God wanted. Let me assure you, it's not what God wanted. Well, religion is the cause of all the wars in the world. Well, religion ain't God, and God ain't religion. What I'm saying here this morning, and I'm just as a way of friendly reminder, the proclamation that God gave in Genesis chapter 3, and, and the things He says, the woman's going to uh, uh, multiply, he's multiplied sorrow in her conception, and and those things, you know what that was? That was a pronounced, that was a because of what you did, here's what's going to happen. It wasn't what God wanted. God, let me say this, God is good. All the time, God is good, amen? The things that God said about man having to eat the bread and, and from the ground and, and by the sweat of his face, that's not, that wasn't what God originally, man, think about this. Back before sin, you had couple of people in a perfect environment 
right? Perfect specimens of what it meant to be human beings. I mean, the quintessential male. You know, the, the, the epitome of what it meant to be a female. They're both hanging out in a perfect environment. They're eating freely from every fruit of every tree that they wanted except for one. There had to be a choice. And they're both naked. And it was okay. This is what the world's trying to get back to. <laughs> right? They want to be able to eat whatever they want to do, do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, and they want to be naked doing it. Am I wrong? I'm not trying to be crude here. I'm just saying that's what they're trying to get to. I mean, they're singing about it. Back to the garden, right? Listen, what we're talking about is we're talking about a, a, the entire creation in a fallen state and God not being the one who caused it, but God being the author of the redemption of it. And God saying, listen, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix this all up. And I'm going to allow you to be back in fellowship with me and actually be part of and be actually the, the epitome of. Mankind is the epitome, the pinnacle of God's creation. Well, man's created a little lower than the angels. Yes, but God didn't die for angels. God died for man. God died for man. There must be something about man that's pretty special in his eye. There must be something about man that's pretty special enough if he was to go and actually lay down his life take upon himself the form of a man and to lay that life down. You know what God intended? What, what, what God didn't intend all that other stuff. God intended for man to have fellowship. He wants to see man be fruitful. That's what he said, right? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Have dominion over the earth. Here's this big thing I made. Now go out there and take over it. That's pretty cool, Right? It's not God's intention for the entire planet to be destroyed with bombs and, and toxic waste and all the junk. Oh, you sound like you've been in Portland too long. No, I'm saying, listen, I'm not an environmentalist, but I don't, this, this planet is, is a, a mess. At least everywhere where men hang out. That's not what God intended. God, God intended for man to, to uh, enjoy the fruit of the ground and to enjoy those things that he had made. God intended man to be settled and, and in his place, worshiping God in the bounds of his habitation, the Bible says in the book of Acts. Not wandering from place to place and a vagabond and having no real continuing home and, and always wondering what's around. You know, I think about this. You have, you have two different kinds of people, and they both have one thing in common. In Portland, we have the extremely impoverished uh, class. Of course, they make a lot of money, but they waste it all very quickly. You have the, the homeless culture, and it is a culture. And even just on the way to the airport the other day, Friday, my daughter was driving me, and uh, we, were, we were just driving down to the airport, and she was dropping me off, and we, were, we passed. I had to go stop at a job site and go see some things, and we're driving, and there's these literally crazy people. And I'm not saying that as a, as a way of mocking. I'm saying I can't help but drive by those people, and I think that's somebody's kid. That, that's, that's a human being. They're literally behaving worse than animals the things that they're doing, the things that they're into. But you know what they do is they just wander from place to place looking for their next fix. They have no purpose. They don't know why they're here. It's amazing that they haven't taken their life yet. Many of them will. And then you have another class of people that are the extreme rich. And they have no want of anything, anything they want. They, they, they travel from place to place, but they do it in private jets. Right? They're, they're flying around, and they're, you know what they're doing? They land somewhere, and they go to the finest places and the nicest hotels, and they eat in the best restaurants, and there's almost always going to be wine or some kind of strong drink involved at the end of that trip or during that trip. You know what they're doing? One person can control their control substance a little better than another, but it's the same exact type of people. They have no purpose. They have no desire. They don't know what they're doing here, so they're looking for an answer somewhere else. They're looking for an answer in some other fix. Same exact problem. That's not what God intended, amen? God intended man to be settled and to be secure. To see man walking in sincerity and in truth. That's what he's basically saying there in verse 14. He, he gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. 
someone who's zealous of good works. Listen, you know what God wants? And he wants this for all mankind, but can I just tell you this as we kind of wrap this up? He wants communion and fellowship, not just with all of mankind. He wants communion and fellowship with you. you. Say, well, I know that I'm saved. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. Now, how's that fellowship thing working out? How's your communion with God? Do you, do you see yourself as actually fulfilling the purpose for which God created you, as he says in Revelation 4.11? Do you actually, does your existence here in part of God's creation, does it glorify and magnify your creator? Can I just tell you, and this is to Christians, if you're not actually seeking the Lord's will in your life, if you're not actually asking for God's grace to be manifested and bestowed upon you in abundance, if you don't find yourself in places and situations and times in your life, you're like, man, God, I don't know what in the world this is all about, and I really wish you would change this situation. I wish you would do something different here. I, don't, I can't handle this. And not to have the voice of God say, hey, my grace is sufficient. And for you to rise from that place and go, wow, I actually have the grace of God, not only that saved me, but that's enough to, and sufficient enough to sustain me and actually to strengthen me in a point in a time of weakness. Hallelujah, I must be glorifying to God. I must be a part of God's creation. I must be something that God actually has a lot to say and to think about. He would manifest and the, the, the love of God would be bestowed upon me that I could actually, man, I could live a life that has purpose and intent and, and redound into the glory and honor of my God and my creator. Man, this is a really, really, really great thing. And I'm talking to a room full of Christians here this morning for the most part who, uh, who understand the grace of God when it comes to salvation. But you know, a lot of people, I think they kind of fall off the wagon, so to speak, when it comes to that grace being sustaining in their life and getting them through trials and troubles and tribulations and maybe even helping them make decisions and see that the path here, even though it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, it seems like maybe God is directing my steps to go over here and now over to here. And here we are, just a couple of kids, and, and the, the grace of God is kind of just showing us, well, now you need to do this. Well, that seems kind of crazy. And even talking to my pastor at the time, and I remember him telling me, well, everything you need for your young family is right here in this church, and that's good pastoral counsel. And it was true. It's the same exact thing I would tell some young family if they were talking about leaving and going to some place in our church. I would tell them the same exact thing, but you know what it is? And he understood this, and I understand it now more than ever, is the grace of God that was saying, hey, I want you to go and I want you to step over here now. Just a little glimpse of something. Oh, this is what God wants. God's talking to me. God's showing me something. That's the grace of God. He would take time to, to speak to me. You say, because you were such good Christians? No. No. I've never been the good Christian that I know I should be. I can't believe I'm still breathing. Honestly, like if I was God and I would think the way and I and I thought the way that I think God should think, which of course he doesn't, amen. His thoughts are far above my thoughts. But I would have been like, You're done, dude. That's enough. Right? So many times. You say, Well, what is it? It's the grace of God. And the step here, and the little thought over here that leads to this. And next thing you know, here we are, and all of a sudden we find ourselves in the place we are, and it's like, What how did we get here? Just the grace of God. Just the grace of God. He's been, he's been so good to me. And he's just kind of just been patient. And you say, what is it? It's because he's actually trying to accomplish something in my life which will actually reflect how good he is. And will actually show it possible that, hey, there is a good God who is in heaven. And he is looking down and his eyes are running to and fro in all the earth. And he's looking for someone he can show himself strong on their behalf. I'm talking to Christians and I'm talking to my Christian friends here this morning and saying, do not let the grace of God be limited to Calvary's cross. Let it be something that sustains you and gets you through your entire life and directs your steps and trust that God's grace is truly sufficient because it is. If it was sufficient enough for Paul to be able to stand and say, you know what, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace is sufficient. I'm going to glory in my tribulations and my troubles now. And I'm going to do it because I know that it's God's grace that allows my point of weakness to bring forth his strength. And ultimately, you know what that does? That glorifies him. That's God, the creator, saying, 
How ironic that some little pipsqueak, some insignificant ant, so to speak, on this mound called earth, running around, could actually have something that he does that is a fulfillment of my will and my desire and actually can show forth the glory of the Creator God in a life and a small little sphere of influence that he has. That's amazing. Folks, that's amazing. That's our God. That's our God. God gave us a choice, and it is interesting to me the choices that some people make. A lot of times I think it's either ignorance or maybe it's fear. They just, they're afraid to, to do that thing because there's faith involved. Yes, there are people that are just openly rebellious. They've made their decision. They don't care. They're going to shake their fist, proverbially speaking, at God. They're going to say, how dare you try to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are? And you know what God doesn't do? God doesn't go squash like he could. You know why? Because he's tremendously, abundantly long-suffering. But I'm telling you this morning, if you're here and you've never actually been born again, at some point, you're going to step out into eternity. And that step without Jesus is a step towards your descent into a lake of fire. I don't revel in saying that at all. In fact, if it was me, I wouldn't have it be that way. But see, we're talking about a God who is holy, a God who is just, a God who will not allow one smidge, if there is such a thing, one element of, of sin or imperfection into his presence. And you say, well, how in the world are you going to get there then? Because of the grace of God. Because my sins have actually been paid for, and yours have been too. The question is, have you received the payment? The payment is there and it's available. The grace of God that bringeth salvation unto all men hath appeared. It's available for you to take it as a payment for all of your sin. He wants to and He can redeem you from all your iniquity. You say, how is that possible? You don't need to worry about figuring it out. All you need to know is it's made possible by the grace of God. Jesus Christ manifested Himself and lived that sinless life that you and I could never live. And he laid that life down as a substitutionary sacrifice for our lives. And that life is not just life for life, it's life for life. Amen? Life for lives. In other words, he is good enough, he's perfect enough, he's powerful enough that he can save anybody, whosoever will. You want salvation? All you got to do is go to Jesus. But you cannot go to him saying, God, I, I mean, I'm pretty good, you know. And I feel like, you know, I kind of deserve this. No. You have to go to God, listen, trusting in His merit alone. Forsaking whatever goodness you might want to claim and acknowledging, God, I'm a sinner and I need salvation and I'm coming to Jesus for it. If you do that, He'll save you. He absolutely will save you. You say, how do you know? Well, tell you what, just try it out and see. Just come to Him dealt with a guy, uh, kind of a, again, kind of an intellectual, philosophical guy at our church service a few weeks ago, right after service, we were in the back talking, and he says, well, I, I kind of, I understand, I think I understand God, and I believe in Him, and I, I've seen things in my life that are unexplainable outside of a God. He said, so I'm trying to, you know, live the best life that I can to make myself worthy of having His attention and having His help. And I said, how's that working out for you? He goes, well, it's not easy. It's been a really hard journey. I said, yeah. I said, it's almost impossible, huh? He goes, yeah, it's really tough. This is a guy in sincerity who's trying to live a good life. Some of you should try it. <laughs> right? I should try it. I was, I was, the guy was telling me how he's living. I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm such a lousy, lousy Christian. Here's a guy who's not even a believer, and, and he's trying to live. And I said, you know, that's impossible. And I was able to open the Bible, and after about 30, 45 minutes of taking him through Scripture, and he's seeing it, and he goes, you know, I, that's what I want. That's what I need. I, I, I just need that. I said, well, you want to just take that right now? He looks at me and goes, can, can I do that right, like right now? I said, yeah, you could just ask Jesus to save you right now. He goes, okay, well, what do I do? This is the kind of stuff we deal with. What do I do? I said, well... If we're going to talk to God, I mean, it might be a good idea for us to kind of humble ourselves, right? So I said, what do you think about getting on your knees and praying? Okay. So we're both down on our knees. 
And I said, and you want to pray? And he goes, well, I don't really know what to say. I said, well, how about this? How about I just lead you? And I'll just, what I mean by that is I'll just kind of pray. And if you can agree with what I'm saying, why don't you just pray and you repeat it in the best way you know how. And you just ask God to save you. And so I led him through a simple sinner's prayer. And he, and he opens up his eyes and, and he's, he's kneeling there and he's kind of just, he, he, he opens up his eyes, he's kneeling and he goes, he kind of looks up and he goes, wow, that's exactly what I needed. He got saved. It was this big old deal. Man, the angels in heaven thought it was. Did he have this big feeling? I don't know, but I know this. That guy's saved and on his way to heaven now. And by the way, now he has a starting point. I said, let's, let's, let's just take this Bible, and I said, let's just write this down in your Bible so you know. And I just said, I put his name, and I said, why don't you we'll just write it down there. So-and-so got saved on this day at this time. I said, you know, because the, the devil's going to come, and he's going to try to talk you out of believing that. I said, so let's just put it in paper and ink right here in your Bible so you know. And I highlighted a few verses, 1 John chapter 5, and those passages, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. I said, because the devil's going to try to shake you from this. I said, but let me just tell you, right now, now the fun begins. Now you actually get to start, now keep that same exact thing that you were doing before, except for do it as a result of being saved, not so that you can hopefully be saved. And I haven't seen him in church since then. No. <laughs> it's all right. God knows where he's at. Amen. What I, all I'm saying, folks, is that the grace of God is available. It's abundant. And, and here's what we do is we live our lives, most of us, as, even as Christians, we live our lives hopefully saved. Amen. I, I, I hope that every one of you are saved. If you're not born again, I, and I'll have that conversation with you personally. I'd love to talk to you about Jesus. Okay, but a lot of people live their lives and they're saved and they, they acknowledge that the grace of God is how they got saved. But they, they kind of they fall off a little bit when it comes to actually, well, maybe they live their lives, maybe they go to church, they have kind of a list of standards by which they kind of live their life, but they don't really ever see God's grace being much more than salvation and just a song that we sing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Well, that same grace that saved you is the same grace that God is trying to uh, abundantly bestow upon you in your life through all the trials and the tribulations. And what that grace is, is there for is for this, and I'm done. So that when death, disease, when war, when election year, right? When rich men north of Richmond, you know, when all those things fill your head, and you're like, ah, ah, and then you start, and the devil comes right along those moments, he says, yeah, man, and, and you believe in God? If he's so powerful, if he's so good, then why, and then fill in the blank. So, so here's what happens. When those things come, you just say, yes, you know what? It's only the grace of God that I'm not in hell right now. I know I deserve that. And, and furthermore, it's the grace of God that has led me to where I am and to be the person that I am. And it's going to be the grace of God that gets me home and makes me become the person that I ought to be. Amen. So all I'm going to do is I'm just going to rely on the grace of God. And I'm just going to kind of keep going back to that and going, well, I may not have been the best Christian I was supposed to have been yesterday or last week. But by the grace of God, I'm still breathing his air today. And, and by the grace of God, I have a passage in the Bible that tells me if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I like that. Claimed that many a time. Amen. You say, well, did it feel insincere? No, it's the only thing I have. If I look at myself and I look at my actions and I look at the things that I've produced, it's like, man, this is a colossal flop. But if I go back to, wait a second, God's not done with me, amen? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Yeah, that's me. That's you. How's it going to work? It's going to be the grace of God. He'll just keep pouring it into your life and pouring it in and pouring it in until one day he calls us home. And then, man, it's going to be all good from there. Amen? But it can be good, pretty good right now, too, if you avail yourself of the grace of God. Let's pray.
Father, I love you. Thank you for the opportunity once more to open your book, to speak your words. Lord, you and I both know. We know all the things, Lord, and, and you, uh, you've made it possible for me to be able to continue by your grace to do the things that are pleasing to you. And so I want to glorify you in this, and I want to say thank you, and I want to say, Lord, that I trust that you'll use my life and these things that have been spoken as a way to assure people that you're interested in them, you have a desire to fulfill some purpose in their life. Lord, you're not up there waiting to drop the hammer on people. You're waiting to just show your grace strong on their behalf. I pray your people would avail themselves. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has never actually trusted Jesus Christ, forgetting about religion, but trusting the person of Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray you'd speak to that heart right now, Lord. You convict them of sin and the righteousness of God. Lord, impending judgment to come. If there's anyone here this morning, you've never actually been born again, just like I did with that gentleman a few Sundays ago, I'd just like to extend the invitation. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. But I don't come to you, and you don't have to come here necessarily. But if you in your own way, in your own heart, can just say, God, I am a sinner, I know that. But I do believe that Jesus is the answer. Jesus saved me. He can save me. The best way you know how, why don't you receive Jesus by faith? Forget about the religious tones. Forget about being in church even right now. And just say, God, between you and I, I know that I'm in trouble. I don't know what's going to be waiting for me when I step out into eternity. And I want to be saved. I know I'm a sinner and I want to be saved. Ask Jesus Christ to save you. I guarantee you he'll do it. Pastor. just a moment we're going to sing a song of invitation some have come to pray already you're welcome to come if you have any questions or just want to spend some time in prayer with the lord we're here to help let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 19 number 19 oh for a thousand tongues Oh my God. 
that, Brother Robinson. That was a blessing, wasn't it? Brother Andy Hearn, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer, please? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. You gathered us, and we've not come in our own names. We've been taught to come in your name, in the name of our Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name, and we rejoice what we've heard this morning. Lord, we were reminded of our God who visited us. We all know far too much about ourselves, enough to make us ashamed, and now enough to understand your mercy. Thank you. We need hope, and you've given it to us. We need instruction unto faith, and you've given that to us. You've been faithful. We confess that you are good, and we do it together. We thank you for hearing us. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for eternity. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.